Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And, um, you know, I, I, I really, nine times out of ten when I make this statement, it's not interpreted correctly, but um, I, do not, I do not preach out very often anymore at all. Uh, a few years ago, God called me to start a church there in the Bay Area. And uh, it requires all of my attention and my focus uh, at $340 a square foot for a building. Uh, you better be there, praise God. And uh, But some time ago, God really dealt with me about um, looking into some significant epics in my life. And... Um, you may be seated for just a few seconds. I don't mean to do the church gymnastic thing on you, but I, I don't really know why I'm sharing this. I just know that God told me to share this. Um, I A few years ago, I was really looking at some significant moments in my time traveling as a minister. And um, there was a particular occasion where my wife had become very ill. And we had to rush her to the hospital. And uh, they had to perform an emergency surgery. And at the time, I was, I was in the middle of a revival. And uh, I, I remember going to see the surgeon. And uh, I just stared at the surgeon's hands. And when I saw their hands, I thought, she's going to hurt my wife. You know, surgeons should just have a certain kind of hand. <laughs> it's just, it was a surgeon hand, and I just, she didn't have it. <laughs> and um, it was supposed to be a rather quick surgery. Uh, and once the medication had worn off and the painkillers and all that stuff, my wife was not coming too, and she was becoming discolored, and just I could tell that she was bleeding internally. And so I told the nurses, "My wife's bleeding internally. You need to, you need to to do a blood count on her, make sure that you know she's okay." And they said, "She's fine. She'll wake up." I said, "She's not going to wake up. She's, 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 she's not. She doesn't look like herself." And uh, I argued back and forth with the nurses for quite some time. And finally, they checked her blood. And sure enough, she was, she was almost down to nothing. She had been bleeding severely. And what went from an in-and-out surgery ended up with my wife in ICU. And uh, it was probably one of the worst most traumatic moments I've ever had in my life. Uh, our oldest daughter had just been born, and uh, it was just nightmarish. That's all I could tell you. And uh, I remember uh, at the time we were just really struggling. I mean, we were just hurting. And um, I couldn't leave my wife's side, and finally I got um, her mom to come. by her bedside. I had been awake for like 28 hours. And uh, 
I got in my car and I started driving home. And I remember that day. I can say this now. I remember that day we were, we were $500 short of paying our rent. And um, I was driving down 880 there in the Bay Area and crying, crying about my wife. And on top of that, I'm like, man, we, we don't even have $500 to pay the rent. And my phone rang. And it was, it was Pastor Mayo. And he said, Brother Mayo, everything, he said, Brother Prado, everything okay? I said, no, Brother Mayo, everything is not okay. He said, well, I just woke up this morning, and I felt to mail you a check for $500. And and so fast forward, uh, when the Lord was dealing with me about not traveling anymore, there were three people that God told me, you will continue to preach for them. They are your friends, they love you, and they will protect you. And uh, all of them, if I named them, everybody here would know them. But Brother Mayo was one of those people. And so I, I try, I flake on him a lot. I don't know if you know, if you know this, but I flake on him a lot. <laughs> Every chance I get, I, I, I try to be here. I feel very indebted to both Brother and Sister Mayo and uh, to Cornerstone Church. And, uh, I think Ari and Jared are just two miles from my house right about now. And, uh, and we have David Bertram preaching for us while I'm gone. So there's just a nice little family thing going on here. And, uh, but um, I'll just say this. I, I appreciate Cornerstone Church and the saints of God. Amen. I love and appreciate every single one of you. And uh, uh, I, I really do. I, I count uh, Cornerstone Church as one of the most uh, loving and affectionate and generous churches in the country. And uh, you ought to be proud of that. Praise God. That's a good thing. You want your church to have that vibe. Amen. And so I am not going to take a text this morning. And so we, you could stay seated. And I'm just going to go right into my sermon. I might have preached this here before. I don't care. Uh, but um, I prayed yesterday, early yesterday morning, and God told me to preach this to you. And I woke up again early this morning, and God told me to preach this again. So uh, I may or may have not ever preached this here. It doesn't really matter. It is a very important issue in the life of people. And so I want to address this issue and go through it with you. And I believe God is going to bless us this morning. Do you believe that? Let's all pray. We can bow our heads, lift our hands. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. God, I need you to touch me and to touch these precious people. Let us connect, Lord, not just to one another, but to you. God, it is your spirit that brings liberty. It is your spirit that brings blessing. It is your spirit that changes lives. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is not by force. But it is by your spirit, God, that transformation takes place. God, touch us. Change us. Renew us. And everyone shout in Jesus' name. 
Let's give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible is, is a very big book. It's in every sense of the word. Uh, but it's also very deep. It's very deep. It has a lot of layers to it. And so when people sit down to study the Bible, they have to figure out what is the best means of interpreting all the information and synthesizing it and making it harmonious. There is a particular word that the Apostle Paul uses in his own interpretation of Scripture. It is the word dispensation. Modern Christians take a lot of issues with that word. But no matter how you look at it, it is in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says that a dispensation of grace had been given to him. The word dispensation in Greek is oikonomia. And it comes from two words, oikos and nomos. Uh, the easiest way to translate this word, oikos means house. Nomos means law. The easiest way to translate this word would be rules of the house. Rules of the house. The apostles saw time or time periods in the Bible as being housed by a particular set of rules and laws. You and I are not judged the way Adam and Eve were. There was a different house rule for them. If I go to your house, you have a different set of rules in your house than I do in mine. But the apostles saw time as functioning this way. For example, the first time period of the Bible in which Adam and Eve lived was housed by just one rule. Don't eat the fruit. And they ate it. Adam and Eve knew right from wrong. What they did not know was good from evil. And there is a difference. One refers to actions. The other to the type of person that carries out those actions. Discerning between the two is not always easy. Because the truth of the matter is, is that it is possible to do the right thing, but not be a good person. There are wicked people, evil, greedy, nasty, vile people that will build hospitals. And it is also possible to do the wrong thing and not be a bad person. Just because you ran a red light accidentally does not mean you're splitting hell wide open. It doesn't even mean you're a bad person. You just did the wrong thing. When Adam and Eve sinned, their conscience was turned on. And now their actions would be infused with good and evil motives. And suddenly, the Bible, the house rules change. 
the house rules change because the first two humans have now been extracted out of a state of innocence. And now they have a conscience. Let's say conscience. And that's what we're going to be preaching about today. The conscience is that little inner voice that we all hear before we carry out an action, good or bad. The Bible tells us that the conscience is something that shifts or changes. This change can be good or it can be bad. The biblical attitude is that the conscience can and should be monitored and examined. Regarding communion, the Apostle Paul admonishes us and he says, examine yourselves. The condition of our conscience is going to have a very significant impact on the way we live. Today, I want to talk to you about the shifts or the changes that happen within the human conscience. Each of these is mentioned in the Bible and is worthy of all of our consideration. The first type of conscience that the Bible mentions is a defiled conscience. Titus 1 and 15 says, Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Titus tells us that there is a defiled conscience. Defiled simply means polluted. Through our actions and their motives, we can pollute our conscience. Once our conscience is polluted, it sees everything through the lens of that pollution. Therefore, the defiled conscience is incapable of registering anything as pure. The defiled conscience perverts and distorts everything. It will sexualize language and embed everyday life with morbidity. You know, kids think that it's really cool that they could talk in code in front of their parents. That's not a good habit. These days, most words have double, triple, quadruple meanings. And it always grieves me when I'm preaching and I say a common word and I could see smirks and laughs throughout the crowd because somebody's conscience is defiled. And so now even common English has been sexualized. And what is going on is that the person's conscience is defiled. There are some people that everything they say is jaded, twisted, and morbid. Their conscience is defiled. The defiled conscience will also find fault and scandalize all gestures of goodwill between humans. The defiled conscience can't see somebody do a favor for somebody else and not think that there's a motive behind it. The defiled conscience thinks that everybody is up to something. The, the defiled conscience is conspiratorial. I'll be on a plane early tomorrow morning, so this might even... The defiled conscience loves QAnon. Yeah, I thought I'd get that, yeah. Sorry. The defiled conscience 
sees secret motives and agendas behind everything. And that's not to say that there's not something going on. But that's all the defiled conscience sees. I'm shocked at how many people get caught up on conspiracy theories rather than on living for God. The, the defiled conscience scandalizes everything. And it is because it is defiled. And so now everything in its, in its view is defiled. Nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. And being religious does not mean that your conscience cannot be defiled. Quite the opposite. In fact, the defiled conscience loves religion. Titus goes one step further and he says that the defiled conscience professes to know God, but in actions it denies him. If our actions are plagued with contradictions, it is because they have become defiled. If what we say and what we do are at odds, it is an indicator that we need God to cleanse our conscience. There's good news. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 says that we can have our conscience cleared by the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses our conscience. It is not psychology. It is not therapy. It is not finding closure. It is not resolution. It is the blood of Jesus that can cleanse the human conscience. And if you'll just allow me to talk to the visitors for one second. The Bible says that one of the reasons we make such a big deal about baptism here is because the Bible says that baptism will provide you with a good conscience towards God. Amen. And saints, amen, hallelujah, you need to come into service, hallelujah, and, 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 and come expecting the blood of Jesus to wash over your conscience because there's so many images in the world. There's so many sounds in the world. There's so many... There's so many movements and agendas in the world that it's not hard to get your conscience defiled. Amen. It's not hard to get your conscience polluted. And that's, that's why I'm not trying to miss any church. That's why I'm not trying to skip out on a service. Because every altar call, every song sung, every sermon preached, every offering given is an opportunity to get your conscience defiled. To get it cleaned up. To get your defiled conscience cleared up. And if you've never been baptized and your conscience is defiled, let me encourage you today, friend, run to the waters and get yourself baptized in the name of Jesus. And get, get you the blood of the Lamb. You know, before I got baptized, brother, let me tell you, I was into masonry and Illuminati and hand signs and secret agendas and, and reading the back of dollar bills. Go ahead and get quiet on me. That's all right. I'm going to preach that out of you. I want to get you, I want to get your conscience pure again. I want to get your conscience cleared again. I want to get you, 
I want to get you heading in the right direction because there's revival to be had. There's souls to be won. Hallelujah. There's children to be raised. There's marriages to be blessed and repaired and restored. Christian, believer, getting your conscience cleared up begins with harmonizing your words and your deeds. You know, in the book of Exodus, they were required to sacrifice a lamb and then to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts. I don't know why people do this, but they always paint them. The imagery behind this, if you look in Bible books and whatever, they always paint them putting the blood on the outside of the house. They actually put the blood on the inside of the house. Because the Lord specifically told them, this blood will be a sign unto you and unto your children. Not your neighbors. And so they had to have that lamb in the middle of their home. And they had to sacrifice it in their home. And they had to take the blood and put it on the inside of the doorpost. And tell the children, this is what the blood means. This is its significance. This is its meaning. I'm telling you, we need to live this thing at home. We need to live this thing at home. You, you cannot just, I'm telling you, your conscience will stay defiled if you only live for Jesus on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen. And you don't do. Hey, I, I know. I, I, you know, I know what it is. And I'm not going to preach long because we didn't release the kids to Sunday school today. But let me tell you something about Sunday school. Sunday school is supplemental. God bless our Sunday school teachers, but this is Sunday school is supplemental, and you are making their job a whole lot harder. You are making their ministry a whole lot more difficult by only letting your kids worship here. This should not here should not be the first time your kids learn how to pray. Here should not be the first time your children hear Jesus loves me. Here should not be the first place they memorize a Bible verse. The blood has to be at the house. The living has to be at the house. The holiness has to be at the house. The praying has to be at the house. Oh, come on. Let's magnify him right now. Let's magnify him right now. Come on. Who wants to take this home? Who wants to take this home? I want to take this home. I want the blood in my house. I want my conscience clean. I Let's praise him for a few seconds. Hallelujah. Can we lift our hands and pray just for a few seconds? I feel God talking to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, help us to praise you at home. Jesus, help us to read our Bibles at home. Jesus, help us to be home worshipers. Praising you. Oh, Jesus. 
God, we praise you. God, we praise you. God, we praise you. And somebody shout amen. The second type of conscience that the Bible talks about is an evil conscience. Hebrews 10 and 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. In order to understand what evil is, we need to look a little bit deeper at its meaning, its actual meaning. The word evil means morally objectable behavior that causes harm, destruction, and misfortune. The quality of being morally wrong in principle and in practice. The evil conscience does things that are morally objectable, destructive, and harmful to one's self and others. And the only way to be healed of an evil conscience is, as the scripture says, to draw near to God. Listen, folks, you can be Christian, Bible thumping, Bible under the arm, and end up with an evil conscience. Actually saying things to hurt people, actually hurting yourself, actually doing those things which are not right whatsoever. Your conscience is not fixed or static. It can change throughout the months. It can change throughout the weeks. It can change throughout the years. And those of you that have been living for God long enough, you know you can have somebody here dancing in the front one day and gone a few years later. We have to monitor our conscience. And if it's defiled, we have to clean it. And if it's evil, we have to draw near to God you got to get close to God. Amen. How do you draw near to God? Well, here at church, we draw close to God through praise and through worship. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm telling you right now, when you begin to praise and to worship God, amen, with a pure heart, amen, with a pure conscience, uh, and with the desire to purify your conscience, uh, amen, hallelujah, you are drawing near to God, and the evil in your conscience will be taken away. The Spirit will move on you, the Spirit will cleanse you, the Spirit will wash over you, and the Spirit... Why don't we worship God right now just for a few seconds? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's praise Him. Let's praise Him. Let's praise Him. We draw near to God at home through prayer and devotion. The, church toward the, the Lord told the church in Ephesus, he said, you've, 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 you've withstood those that say they're apostles and are not. You've preached my word. You've been true to the doctrine. He says, but I have something against you. You've left. Everyone say left. You've left your first love. He did not say you lost. And there's a difference between leaving 
and losing. When you lose something, you don't know where it is. But when you leave it, you know exactly where you left it. And the Lord tells them, you have left your first love. And that's just good old King James English for, you don't love me like you used to. You don't read your Bible like you used to. You don't pray like you used to. Amen. And I, I, I want to challenge somebody here today to go back to the moment, to go back to the situation, to go back to the time in your mind to where you stopped doing those things. Because a lot of times we stop doing those things because we've been hurt. We stop doing those things because we get angry. We stop doing those things because we stop prioritizing our life correctly. We stop, we stop doing those things because somewhere something went wrong that should not have gone wrong. Amen. But I'm challenging you today to get back to that place of prayer and devotion to get back to that place where you're reading your Bible to get back to that place where you're praying first thing in the morning to get back to that oh come on come on let's praise him let's praise him the Bible talks about a seared conscience 1 Timothy 4 and 2 says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The word seared means to lose feeling. The conscience can lose all feeling. It ceases to feel any remorse or regret for what it has done. It begins to tell lies in hypocrisy. We think of hypocrisy as someone who says one thing and does another, that's not a hypocrite. That's a liar. If you read Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to berate the Pharisees. And he tells them, you hypocrites. And he calls them hypocrites not because they say they're going to do something and don't do it. He calls them hypocrites because they do it to be seen. The word hypocrite in Greek means actor, not liar. It means actor. And he says, you're just acting. You're not doing this for God. You're not clapping for God. You're not praying for God. You're, there's not a sincerity in your heart. He says, you're acting. But here Paul says that you can, you can tell lies in hypocrisy, which is like a double whammy. To speak lies in hypocrisy is when a hypocrite and a liar, when we're a hypocrite and a liar at the same time. That means that we do things for attention. But we don't do what we say we're going to do. If there's anything that should scare us about social media, it's the fact that it makes us addiction. It gives us an addiction to approval. And attention. Your Christianity will stay intact the more you do things regardless of who's looking. Your Christianity will stay intact when you sing, no matter who's singing. When you pray, no matter who's praying. 
when you worship no matter who's worshiping. When your Christianity will stay intact when you, you do not do things for approval, you do not do things to be seen. Your con- I, d- I don't want to have a seared conscience. I don't want to be past feeling. I don't want to lose feeling. Everything I do, I, wanted to, I want to do it as unto Jesus. I want to do it as unto Jesus. I want to come to church as unto Jesus. I want to worship as unto Jesus. Oh, let's praise him right now. I'm almost done. I'm not going to preach long. Because the kids were not released to Sunday school. The last type of conscience we're going to talk about today is a weak conscience. A weak conscience. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 8, 10 through 13. It says that the weak conscience, a weak conscience is when we see someone who we look up to do something that is questionable. And then we do the same thing but in excess. Listen, role models are important. Everybody should have one. Everybody should have somebody they look up to. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody should look up to somebody. But role models are human. No matter how much you look up to somebody, they, they, they have flaws. Those of you that are new in God, or those of you, listen, if you have never been discipled, I don't care if you've been, if you've been living for God 20 years, 10 years, 10 months, if you have never been discipled, you need to get discipled. You need to make it a personal priority to get yourself in the word of God, indoctrinated, consistent in your prayer and in your devotion. Because if you don't, your conscience is going to stay weak. And what will happen is somebody that you look up to is going to let you down one day. And then you will do what they do, but in excess. I remember I was, I was new and living for God. I, I hadn't been in church very long. And um, hmm, I got a job at a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, quote, unquote. And uh, I was shocked. You know, my, my colleagues uh, at that bookstore they got plastered every weekend. I mean, they'd get smashed. They'd come back to work and talk about it like it was the funniest thing ever. Listen, I am not going to debate with anybody as to whether or not it's wrong to drink. I've seen people destroy their kidneys. Dialysis centers popping up everywhere. Kidneys will destroy. Liquor will destroy your life. The Bible talks about how liquor will destroy your life. It says there are so many warnings against drunkenness in the Bible. It's not even funny what alcohol. And I don't even know why I'm preaching about this. 
But I do suspect that there are some people that really think drinking is okay. It is not okay. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin the life of your family members. You're going to ruin your health. You, you know, I don't, I don't care if it's legal. There's a lot of stuff that's legal that's not right. It's not moral. I'm not going to do it. I'm just telling you right now, when I got delivered, I got delivered. And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost itself got me to stop drinking. And I don't think the Holy Ghost would get me to stop doing something that wasn't wrong in the first place. Oh, come on. Don't tell yourself a little drink here and there is going to be all right. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your spouse. Don't do that to your kids. You know and I know that you turn into a monster every time you get drunk. You and I know that you turn into another man every time you get drunk. You and I know that stuff gets left on the, on the stove burning every time you get drunk. You and I know that you jeopardize your home, your family, your job every time you get drunk. You and I both know that that alcohol is ruining your life. And if alcohol didn't ruin people's lives, we'd have no need for AA. We'd have no need. If alcohol depends, come on. Stop believing the lie. I don't care if you can find it in the aisles at Safeway. I don't care if they give it away free on the airplane. Don't touch it. Stay away from it. Turn your eyes from it. Don't. Oh, let's praise Jesus right now. Come on, let's praise Jesus. I know where I'm at in the Holy Ghost right now. and this is, We're going to put it in park right here. And so we help somebody get delivered. Oh, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. I'm working with a young lady right now. And I, I want to be careful with this. She's very, very educated. Uh, my wife and I teach her Bible studies. Uh, she got married a few years ago, beautiful wedding, whole thing. Uh, husband is uh, successful in his own right, uh, very successful. But they started drinking. And it, as the old saying goes, it's all fun and games till somebody gets hurt. And they started drinking. And it started off casually. But then it just kept, and I know, I know, there, there's people that live by the, by the motto, it's, it's, it, it's not the medicine, it's the dosage. I'm not even trying to hear that. Because my question to you is, how, how, much, how much sewage can I put in your water bottle until you won't drink it? The answer is none. Hey, I'm going to just put it in pause right here for one second. Let me just say this. Because there are people in churches that struggle with drinking. And let me just tell you this right now. I'm telling you as a man of God, you can, you can get delivered from that today. You don't, need to make, you don't need to necessarily make a public service announcement. But I'm telling you, church friend, 
you can, you can get yourself up off that pew by the time I'm done preaching. You can come kneel right here at the feet of Jesus just like you did the first time you got saved. And you can ask, you can cry your heart out right here. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to say nothing to you. We're behind you 100%. We don't want you to suffer. We don't want you. But listen, we only have one weapon, and it's the greatest weapon of all, the Spirit of the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, friend, you can get up here, you can bow your knee to Jesus, and you can tell him to touch your conscience, and you could tell him to wash your, come on somebody, you could tell him to deliver you, to save you, to set you free, and I believe with all of my heart that he'll do it for you. I'm telling you, all across this congregation, there are people here that were 20-year, 30-year, 40-year drinkers, and in one service, God delivered them. There are people here, their mom was an alcoholic, their dad was an alcoholic. At 18 years old, they were alcoholics, and they came to the altar and Jesus delivered them and I'm telling you that same Jesus is here today that same Jesus is here today and he still delivers and if he delivers us when we're sinners he'll deliver us when we're saints come on somebody come on come on let's give people some hope that God Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He Let's praise him. Let's praise him. This young couple, their marriage is ruined. It's ruined. And we're believing God to bring him back. But, you know, I told her, I told this young lady, I said, when he comes back. And you know what? She actually comes out of a church where they teach that drinking is not wrong. And I told her, I said, I don't care what they teach at your church. You listen to Pastor Prado. I said, you listen to me. When he comes back. Don't you drink casually? Don't you drink at dinner? Because this is how you ended up here. It is a slippery slope. It is a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. It is. We don't want to talk about this, but I'm telling you, I could call you out right now. There's a man here. Your life is being ruined by alcohol. You're kind of hungover right now. You got to get a conviction about it. God's mind is made up that he will deliver you if you ask for help. The question is, have you made up your mind that you need help? Because it's not until you make it up in your mind, I'm tired of this bottle ruining my life. I'm tired of this thing coming into my marriage. I'm tired of what it's making me do. I'm tired of blacking out. I'm tired of waking up and not knowing how I got there. I'm, I'm tired of cycling through friendships and circles because I, I, I'm always the guy that goes too far. 
tired of my mom offering me to pay for drug counseling. We can look up to people, but people fail. People have faults. People have failures. And the weak conscience, the weak conscience will do what it sees those ahead of them do, but in excess. I remember working at this Christian bookstore, and they were all getting smashed on the weekend. And I thought to myself, Brother Knutson, Man, if they're saved, then I'm extra saved. And slowly and surely, I started misbehaving. And I thought, as long as I'm not like them, I'm okay. The problem is, God's not going to judge me according to them. real problem was I had a weak conscience. I remember when I was first in church, if I saw any of the more seasoned saints have a bad day, boy, I just had a double bad day. I thought, well, if Brother John's going to lose it, I'm going to really lose it. Some of you are there. And today we're going to strengthen your conscience. Because there comes a point where Brother John is having a bad day and somebody else needs to hold down the fort. Then there comes a day when Sister Season Saint is having a bad day and we need some young Sister Season Saints to hold down the fort, to hold down the line and say, you know what? We all have bad days, but I'm going to contribute to the moral fabric of my church. And I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be attendant. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be plugged in. I'm not 